podcast i'm filling in josh normally on this podcast is busy in arizona right now he'll be on next week's to share a lot of that great uh afl info that he's gathering as we speak he was at kumar rocker start last night he has seen I-, I think pretty much almost every team already and it's day two because he's doubling up every day and he's in heaven and he's eating a lot of Mongolian grill, I'm sure, at the same time. Um, but we're still going to give you a, a, a prospect podcast. We're going to put a little bow on the 2022 minor league season today. Minor league season's over. As we record this, we are getting ready for the final day of the 2022 MLB regular season. We have a month of playoffs ahead. Yay. We have the AFL, AFL ahead. Yay. But Jeff, We also are turning the spigot off on the, oh, there's so much more baseball than you could ever possibly consume portion uh, of the 2022 season. And how does that make you feel? Yeah. um, In some ways, uh, it's kind of refreshing. Uh, You know, it's it's a long season. There's so much that we cover. And uh, I'll say the last couple of weeks is kind of fun because it gives me time to sort of catch up on everything that happened and really talk about things in um, a more final sort of way, right? Um, This guy did this, this person did this, this pitch worked this way, this guy introduced this, and this actually worked. This guy had a bad April, but if you look at the rest of his year, he had a pretty good year. You can sort of do all of those different things, and I think you can also sort of spot some trends coming out, um, you know, bigger data on some of the post-draft you know, recent draftees. Uh, that's some stuff that I've worked on that's been fun. But yeah, I think, you know, overall, it's kind of a good thing. Uh, we're getting into the handbook season. I love writing scouting reports. It's one of my favorite types of content to work on. So I've same, been enjoying same. that. Yeah, and and so there's a lot of good things that come with it. It's just like during the season and, and before the season, there's a lot of things to sort of enjoy and be positive about. But at this point, kind of worn out. I've, I've seen a lot of baseball. I You know, uh, it's nice to have a month sit down, watch major league games, recalibrate the eyes again, watch some games that are really meaningful, which I don't think we necessarily see a lot of those between, uh, you know, the, the amateur side of things. And then of course the minor leagues where, you know, guys certainly aren't competing for world championships. So um, that's hey, been really hey, exciting. Hey, <laughs> hey, the Durham Bulls just hoisted the triple uh, a national national title, not international, but national championship. Well, they they could probably, based on the last few years, I think if you take like the best of their roster, they probably, they'd probably make the playoffs (laughs) pretty much the raise, right? So yeah, absolutely. I think there's some good things. I mean, and the other side of it is obviously I'm going to be sad in a few weeks when there's absolutely no baseball to watch. There's been a few times over the last couple of weeks where I've wanted to like turn on a, you know, whoever game and, and watch this guy pitch. And it's like, I can't do that right now. And AFL doesn't help that much because they don't broadcast any of these games. <laughs> but I will say this, you are a nut like I, where I know that one of the answers you have to that is, and I've done this some already, which is, you know what? I haven't watched this guy pitch this year. Let's dial up this, I don't know, July game, this August game and watch them because I haven't watched them yet this year. And yeah. Yeah, that will keep us going all through the off season. Jeff and I, We'll be 
diving into Rule 5 protection previews and Rule 5 previews in the not-too-distant future because that's coming. Uh, you know, it a lot of fun stuff. But, but one of the things I wanted to start with since we are finished with the 2022 minor league season, completely finished, AAA championship done, no more minor league games. There's the Arizona Fall League, but nothing else other than the majors. With that being the case, are there anything, does anything stand out to you as like, you know what, this is something that I'm thinking of differently, or this is something I learned this year, beginning compared to the beginning of the season. I will, I will represent Josh on this right now, since he's not here, and just say, yes, Josh, we know that when the season began, Jackson Churio was an intriguing top 10 Brewers prospect, but you didn't know that you would, you know, be watching a, uh, a transcendent prospect emerge. So that's out of the way, Jeff. Yeah, now I'll hand it to you. What, what stands out to you? We'll also get uh, Andrew Painter is hashtag good. We'll get that out of the way. And mm-hmm. uh, Ricky Tiedemann also hashtag good. Other guys that I think were probably um, pleasant surprises. And we shouldn't be all that shocked with Painter, but at the same time, it's kind of like, when was the last time we had a high school pitcher that did anything like this right out of the draft and was like this good it's been a little bit so um yeah maybe he's regenerating the uh the high school profile but i think the bigger picture stuff is the stuff i really want to focus in on here um you know that i nerd out on the pitching side of things so i'm noticing uh-huh. some pitching trends it's something that i wrote about when um you know i had meant i had written up some some you know standout sliders recently um you know a couple of weeks back on the site 29 percent increase in slider usage at the major league level Um, the minors are following along the data at times can be a little bit messy especially later in the season when you start to get rookie levels and some of these guys are just kind of you know getting their legs underneath them uh you know almost like a a bambi so to speak in pro ball um but you know i think we're starting to see this trend and it's been talked about for a lot of years where it's throw your best pitches and we're seeing guys do that more frequently there's more starters that i come across digging in the data on the minor league side and of course in the major league side that are throwing their sliders almost equally sometimes more than their fastballs and that wasn't all that common uh a few years ago so we're seeing that drop in fastball usage and we're seeing an increase particularly in sliders and then cutters which i think in some ways can be a hybrid sort of between the two of the fastball and the and the breaking ball, depending upon what the cutter is like. Oh, cough, uh, cough, Corbin Burns. But you know, it's it's this sort of drastic movement. I, I think we're just starting to see at all different levels. I saw it in the Cape this summer. There were guys that were throwing their sliders as much as their fastballs, and really leaning in on their best pitches and getting results because of it. It's funny when you say that. Like I do think that we're also seeing cutters and sliders kind of almost merge for some pitchers because the reality of it is is that some of the, there are 92 mile an hour sliders. And if you said what you thought of a slider as in, I don't know, 20, 2007, you wouldn't say that was a slider, but it's called a slider now. And if you said, but it's a really effective pitch and some guys call that a cutter, some guys call it a slider, some guys, the break is bigger, some guys manipulate it more, but we are seeing the merging of that. I, the guy who stands out to me on this who, when you say, what did I learn in 2022? Just epitomizes this is Spencer Strider. Um, 
we really liked Spencer Strider coming into the year, but we were way light on him. And I mean, I would say the industry as a whole did not expect Spencer Strider to go out there and produce one of the best starting, keyword there, starting rookie seasons that we have seen in quite a while from a starting pitcher, you know, rookie starting pitcher. And the thing about it is, is he's a two-pitch guy. I mean, I know he has a changeup that if you gather around and you watch start after start of him, you'll see it every now and then. But most of the time, it is fastball slider, fastball slider, fastball slider, fastball slider. And they're both good enough that it's like, yep, why would you do anything other than that? To go back to what you're saying, why would you worry about, I need to develop a third pitch? Oh, I need to have a pitch that moves in a different direction. I need to do all that. He commands his fastball. He really commands that slider. That slider is very rarely in spots where you can do something with it. And the rest of the major leagues looks at it and says, um, what do we do with this guy who throws a hundo? And by the way, has a slider that may be better than the fastball. Yeah. And I think, you know, you look, there's other guys that epitomize this even more. And I think it's a roadmap for Strider because he's throwing the fastball 67, 70% of the time. I think that number drops a little bit as a starter. Um, I was looking at the blended data because I think he did make 10 or 11 appearances as a reliever early in the season, but Dylan Cease, you know, Dylan Cease throws his slider. He throws 96, 97 on average, 98. Throws his slider 42, 43% of the time. Shohei Otani, I don't know if you know who he is. He's pretty good. Another guy that throws pretty hard. Throws his slider. I, I've 38. heard of him. I, I, <laughs> I, am, I am on top of that. I have heard that he is good. 38 point, I might, you might just know him as a hitter. 38.8% of the time as uh, he throws a slider. Robbie Ray, who didn't have a great season, but obviously won a Cy Young last year. 37.2, you know, um, other guys, Carlos Rodon, 31%, Justin Verlander, um, 28%, you know, throwing his slider a lot more than he ever did. Manoa's a guy that throws a slider a lot, Shane Bieber. Um, so you're seeing some of the top pitchers in the game here are, you know, guys that have good fastballs, good fastball shape, some of them with velocity. They're leaning into that slider and using it more often. But you have command of that pitch. You can get that in zone. 65% of the time you can really dominate. And you know, I think that, that you just hit on the thing. That's what I wanted to ask you about. The thing that stands out about this is, is that when you say like, I'm sure that there are some people who hear this and go, this, this doesn't make sense to me because throwing your slider that much, which by the way, was a college thing long before it was a big league thing. Uh, South Carolina was, you, you know, university of sliders and curves. Like you just throw your breaking ball. Why? But let's just pull back from it. As a hitter, the goal has long been to get into fastball counts. Why? Because hitters like to hit fastballs. A hitter who is in a count where he can look fastball and feel comfortable he's going to get it in the zone, that's, that's your happy place for most professional hitters. And I say most because if you can't catch up to a fastball, you probably don't have a role in Major League Baseball anymore that's that's kind of the, the extent of it um so okay but you hit on the key thing to me which is if you have a i don't even want to say traditional but if you have a a chase slider and that's all you have if you have a slider that starts in the zone but never ends up in the zone there's a limit to how much you can throw your slider right if you are 
going out there and you're 40, 50% sliders, 35% sliders. And if hitters recognize it, they just lay off. And by the way, you're throwing it two, three, four times in that bat where they're getting to see it a lot and start to go, I think that's the slider I'm laying off. Well, then this doesn't work. But you hit on the key thing, which is, but if you have a slider, and a lot of these guys command their slider in zone as well as they command their fastball in zone. The minute you do that, if you can throw your slider for a strike in the zone, well, then it kind of comes back to, why would you make your fastball your primary pitch if your slider's good? Because what you're doing is, is I have a pitch I can throw for a strike consistently and is harder to hit than my fastball, which I can throw for a strike in the zone consistently. It makes a lot of logical sense if you kind of pull back and think about it, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think, you know, if you have the ability, and there's a bunch of different types of slider shapes. I don't even think we have to get down the wormhole there. Um, but if you can land those pitches to both sides of the plate uh, and into the zones where, you know, their movement sort of not only plays off of your fastball, but kind of tricks hitters into thinking that it could potentially be a ball, it, buy, it buys you that uncertainty. It's the mental side of things, right, where – you catch that hitter sort of in between where he's like, all right, he stole a strike twice on me, you know, on the outside half of the plate. Um, I got to swing on this this time. You could throw that out of the zone. You know, once you start to get a hitter thinking like that, you can expand the zone because you got that guy in his heels. He's much more defensive. He's not in control of the at bat. And I think that's the thing with fastball counts. It's not even the ability to hit a fastball. It's just in terms of controlling what a pitcher has to do where consistently you know historically if you're in say a three ball count you know full count guys often will you know try to try to land that fastball because they have to um three one counts three oh counts right even two oh um when you're behind like that guys would often go back to the fastball because it's a pitch they knew they could land in zone um so i think that's a big part of it you know it allows these guys to control the at bats as well um just simply by you know, if you can command that pitch to, to either side of the plate, and I think that speaks for any, any side of the, uh, any type of pitch, but we're seeing it more frequently with sliders. You can land both sides of the plate. It, it's effective against each handedness. And I think that's something we saw with Ricky Tiedemann. Um, you know, Tiedemann can wear out just because of where he sets up on the first base side of the rubber, the low slot from the left side, just the way his pitches move and the way he understands his angle, he can wear out the arm side part of the plate and just, you know, backdoor sliders to right-handed hitters and mix in that changeup and fastball. And it's like, you don't know where it's coming from. And I think that's uh, what we're seeing more and more, especially with these low slot guys where their fastball and their slider for that, you know, initial flight out of the hand for the first five or six feet where you're trying to make that read, um, even just watching the game. It's really tough to, to differentiate between the two until it hits the plate and you see what, whether, it, whether it moves arm side or whether it moves glove side and, and what the velocity is on it, you know? So um, I think that's a big part of it. There's a bunch of different elements at play here, but if you have, a, you know, any of these unique elements and, and you can play it up and you have a good pitching coach that identifies, hey, um, your slider can certainly play and it should see more usage, guys are leaning into that where I, I just think that's, you know, a departure from some of the more traditional plus fastball usage and everything plays off that. So 
that is something I think we both definitely learn from this. And we, we may revisit this topic because I think there's a lot of things we learn every year. That's one of the fun things about this is I've learned that things that I learned 10 years ago, I need to unlearn. And I learned that things that I thought I knew 10 years, you know, that I hey, have had a hint of are now like, no, that's, that's really true. But I, I do want to ask you, like, we're going to look at the Arizona Fall League and I want to talk about the opportunities and the dangers of prospect following in the Arizona Fall League. But before we do that, we have a quick message. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we're back. So, Jeff, Arizona Fall League has started. You're getting ready to go out there. Josh is out there for us. Kyle Glazer will be going out there as well. We we, we love the Arizona Fall League. We covered extensively. But I do want to ask with that, like, I see the Arizona Fall League, and I see Winter Ball, but especially the Arizona Fall League, as, as somewhere where if you get too caught up in the narratives of it, you can easily convince yourself of things that that may not necessarily be true. And and I'll just play, uh, to, to lead off for you, I'll just play an example of this, which is right now I can effectively construct a narrative to explain a great Arizona Fall League or a terrible Arizona Fall League. Mike Trout, you may have heard of him. He's pretty good too. Mike Trout had a pretty mediocre Arizona Fall League uh, many, many years ago. And I remember the time we talked about it. I was like, oh, he really looked tired in the Arizona Fall League. He looked like he was, you know, he had had a full season. He was pretty worn out. And that's something that we can easily say with someone who has a bad Arizona Fall League. Or someone has a great Arizona Fall League, and we talk about, oh, that player has really taken a step forward. He, he, Tough competition, the Arizona Fall League took a step forward. And, and there's the players who are in between. It's like, yeah, they, they showed progress, whatever. So, but the question I kind of asked for you is, is Jeff, is how do you differentiate between this player took a step forward, this player took a step back, and the fact that the flip side of that may be it's a small sample, it's a player at the end of a long season, 
it's a player who's trying to do something new and hasn't developed that skill yet because we do see position changes out in the AFL. We may see pitchers who are working on trying, really trying to do something different. How do you, how do you get the, like the little sifter out there and, and sift out like the gold from the, the dirt that's all just in the uh, flowing down the stream to go for gold panning reference from the 1850s. <laughs> yeah, here we go. You know, great references today. Um, you know, it's really hard. I, I think the toughest part of it is you really don't get to see a majority of the games. Um, so it's hard to just sort of box score scout off of that and really have an understanding of what's going on on the ground. Now, I've, I was fortunate enough last year to get out there, um, you know, for a week and see players. I'll be out there again this year for a week and be able to see, you know, a ton of games and do what Josh is doing right now. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of it is just sort of watching what happens, how the at-bats sort of play out, um, you know, from game to game for particular hitters. You know, a good example is like Bryson Stott. Um, who looked great last year um, and it was more than just production it was the type of pitches he was taking it was the type of pitches that he was hitting and how he was hitting them um, and just sort of taking what the pitcher was giving him and that didn't play out early in the season for stock um, he was sort of shuttled up and down and then finally settled in in the second half and played pretty well down the stretch and I think we saw the guy that we saw in the Arizona Fall League now I'll say on the flip side a year I didn't get to go out to the Arizona Fall League and sort of followed the stats and talked to some people whether on the ground, but I would say that my my contacts at that point weren't as uh, as connected or as evolved. Like Tyler Nevin, Tyler Nevin won the slash line uh, title in the Arizona Fall League, I think in what 2018, 2019? Um, then, yeah, somewhere right there. And you know, I remember seeing him at New Hampshire like the following season and just being like, you know, really unimpressed. Um, and just being like, uh, like, this is not a top 100 guy. This is not a standout type of player. Um, and it's like, yeah, I got caught up in a hot month in, you know, a hitters league in hitting and hitting environments. Um, you know, so I think you get caught up with guys like that. Now, I think the value, and this is winter ball too, is the guys that are on the fringes, the guys that maybe had a slightly underrated season, they had a 230 batting average, but their on base percentage was good, or they and they hit for some power, or you know, it's like just something about the numbers were just below some thresholds that maybe didn't catch your eye. And they come out there and they perform well. David Bodie is one guy that was like that. Um, you know, last year, I think well, we're just naming Cubs now, but like Nelson Velasquez was a guy that was like that, where he was kind of off the radar. He went there and it's like, yeah, this guy isn't going to be a, a superstar or maybe even an everyday player, but there's probably a major leaguer here. And we didn't necessarily recognize or realize that at the time it can happen for a pitcher who had a limited uh, season. A guy like Owen White is a good example. You know, you go and see this guy's powerful stuff. You're like, all right, I can imagine this playing in a major league bullpen or if these things happen, maybe as a starter, it's sort of those guys that I feel like are a little bit on the fringes or were injured and missed a big chunk of time. And we didn't really get a good sample to see like how good a particular player is. Um, it's guys like that. I think it's the guys that are really on the fringes where you can learn a little bit more. Um, they're really good players that perform, you know, it's never really a shock. It wasn't a shock years ago when Glaber Torres went out there 
when he was one of the best prospects in baseball on hit, right? right. It wasn't, you know, um, you know, it wasn't a huge shock last year. Uh, I'm trying to think who was the, the uh, standout that I'm, I'm totally like drawing a blank. on. Oh, um, like Nolan Gorman went out early and hit. Like, it's just like guys like that. Like, it's not a shock. You know, they should be hitting against this level of competition. It's more of those guys that maybe are a little bit underrated guys that are outside of top tens um, and certainly outside of the top 100 conversation all of a sudden can kind of cement themselves like, hey, this guy is a legitimately really good player. Uh, Logan O'Hop was one of those guys last year. And mm-hmm. he, was the, he was probably one of the best breakouts. And mm. and that's where this also gets tricky because the other part of this is, is that the if you're a pitcher and you have a really good AFL, you can say with that that you faced top-level hitting competition. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the other thing about the AFL. The difference between the caliber of pitching that is out there, generally, I should say, and the caliber of hitting that is out there, for a logical reason, which is, we just talked about Andrew Painter. The Phillies, there's no way that they're going to send Andrew Painter to the AFL after a full season and go, hey, by the way, we want to add an extra 20, 30 innings to your season. you know. But no one has a problem sending a top prospect who played all year as a hitter out there to get an extra month of at-bats because the thought is, is that, well, what's the harm? You know, maybe he's a little tired, but he's not going to get hurt. He's not going to blow his arm out or anything like that. And, but that leads, that leads me to another question that I always find at fascinating about the AFA. You talked about the, the fringier guys, right? One of the things we often talk about, about the Arizona Fall League is there are guys who are 40 man roster protection decisions. And one thing I've always thought about that is, is that to me, there are guys that it makes sense to send to the AFL who are on that borderline, and there are other guys who don't. And the ones that I would say make sense are the guys who, they're on the borderline because, but they're lower ceiling is, I guess, the way I would put it, is, is that they're the guy who you're like, okay, we need to know, could this player help us realistically next year is there a chance let's see if you know let's let's get a, some more evidence of that right and i say that as opposed to if you have a pitcher who didn't pitch a whole lot this year and you're on the decision of whether you're going to make a protection decision on that player and that player is a higher ceiling guy but one without a whole lot of experience a whole lot of had a Tommy John surgery, had a shoulder thing, whatever, right? I feel like you're making other teams' jobs easier if you send that player to the AFL, even if it maybe is a little bit of a harm to that player's development. But if I'm deciding on a roster decision, I feel like that there's, this is almost like, I'm going to sound like an old school football coach, but they used to always talk about passing and they'd say, well, but if you pass the ball, two, three things can happen and two of them are bad, which I never really understood that exactly. But in baseball, like if you send a guy who you're facing a protection decision on, but really the argument for why you wouldn't protect him is he's been, he's missed time. He's not ready. He's, he, he may not be able to stick on a team if they took him. I feel like that's exactly the kind of guy that you don't want to send to the Arizona Fall League because, yeah, that player could go out there, look great, and then you just protect him, or he could show flashes, 
and then you still have a really difficult decision. But if you did decide not to protect them, you've probably now made it more likely that someone is willing to take that player. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I think that's kind of the situation that Thad Ward is in a little bit with the Red Sox this year. I mean, really impressive player coming out of the draft for a few years, uh, put up good numbers, you know, ended up having Tommy John surgery, I believe. Returned late this season, pitched fairly well, got back up to double-A Portland. He's a 40-man roster decision guy. Uh, he's healthy again. If he comes out and he performs and looks pretty good, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, this guy could get protected. Um or maybe he's potentially a, 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 a piece they could trade for something else they, that they need. I don't know. Maybe there's some value in that um, and making the decision for them. Um, but yeah, you're essentially showcasing this guy. And if he's any good um, and you're up against the 40 man roster limit, it might be tough to protect that guy and uh, you know, keep him from, from getting selected in the rule five draft, especially if he's a little bit older upper minors experience it was just an injury in the wrong timing um you know ward could be a guy that could be a number five starter for you know a, a bottom division team next year i think pretty easily i don't think that would uh would be all that different from from what they've already had the, the thing i would say with that is is that now i don't want to make it sound like that guys who if you keep them if you hold them back that he definitely won't get taken either because garrett whitlock was an injury guy who hadn't thrown that previous season uh, pandemic, you know, played a big role in that, but, and the Red Sox still took him and it was still a very useful, very valuable pick that they did. But again, I just think that you are, the more you put a player like that out there, the more opportunity you're getting for someone to convince some team to convince themselves that it's worth the, uh, the gamble. Um, we're, we're kind of speeding through this because we're trying to keep this to be a, uh, you know, a, a podcast that's that's relatively a, a tight one or two commuter if you are someone who does not work from home. Um, but I do want to ask you, I do want to end it with this, Jeff, which is playoffs are getting ready. We know who's in the playoffs now. It's probably one of the least climactic uh, and most anticlimactic last days of the season I could remember. <laughs> I, I don't even think that we really are that thinking that Aaron Judge can win the Triple Crown now. Like he got his 62nd... I don't know really what's going on today. That's really like compelling as we record this, but, but I do want to ask you with that. Who's a young player or who's a rookie that you are most looking forward to seeing play in the postseason? Because we do have a pretty good crop of rookies who will be playing in the postseason. Um, I think, you know, I was thinking about this question and I wanted to come up with an answer that wasn't Michael Harris, but I really couldn't come up with an answer that wasn't Michael Harris. That's the one I'm most excited about seeing. And I think, um, you know, when you get sort of inserted into the lineup in, what was it, the beginning of June, end of June, beginning of June, and you do what Harris has done. I think there is a, a true case that he could still maybe even, you know, be rookie of the year overall, just as much of a, a case as, as Julio. Um, the defense is great in center field. Uh, it's added another component there. You know, he's, he's been hitting at the top of the lineup. I know he didn't have a great series against uh, the Mets, unfortunately, but, you know, still um, a really strong, you know, potential standout player on both sides of the ball that could impact the game in a variety of ways. And, you know, I think in the playoffs, 
what wins is these little things on the margins. And he's the kind of guy that defensively on the base paths um, and then, you know, his ability to do damage at the plate. He's one of those guys that could really make a difference just because of all the things that he can do as a young, you know, somewhat athletic twitchy player right now. Um, and I think that's just really exciting. He's also healthy, <laughs> which not everybody else, you know, that's, that's one of these standout rookies has been. So for me, it's Harris. And I think when you're talking about a world championship caliber team that could make a really deep run and win hundred games like this, this, you know, this is a guy that, you know, could play in the world series too. So I think that's a big part of it for me is we could be watching Michael Harris for a bunch of rounds, make a difference in really big moments for the Braves. By the way, you did sell him short. He arrived in April, the very end of April. But so it oh, is pretty it? amazing. Yeah. Was it? Okay. Crazy, huh? But, but I, I would love to say Michael Harris too. I, I agree with you. Everything you said. I also think it's credit to the Braves that, they saw it. Um, I mean, we, we were pretty hot. We had him as our number one prospect for the Braves coming into the season. We had him pretty run up on the top 100. We didn't run him up enough. Like he's he's even better than we thought he was, and we thought he was really good. To Carlos's credit, he reported that when he was reporting that Braves list, the things that stood out were things like this guy may be as good defensively as Pache, which seemed crazy and now seems possible. Maybe the best, probably the best hitter in our organization, the minor leagues, which seemed aggressive, but he's lived up to. If he homers today, he could get a 2020 season. 20, 20 steals right now, 19 home runs going in the last day of the season. So, but since you said Michael Harris, I'll say George Kirby to go a little different. Um, just because Spencer Strider is the best rookie pitcher this year, but I think that George Kirby, because he's out West, because he's on the same team of Julio Rodriguez, what he's done this year maybe sometimes gets a little bit less noticed than it should. And I could, I mean, if the, if the Mariners are going to do something and go deep, I do think that George Kirby could be a key part of that. Now their rotation is such that. So it's a good problem to have. They've got a lot of good arms. Obviously Luis Castillo, I think is going to be their ACE, but, but I do expect Kirby to be a guy who could play a very important role for them in the postseason, and, and I really kind of bring him up partly because I just view him as a guy that if you said, okay, well, why are you picking him? Because he's a guy who I think could go, could raise his stature a little bit, had a really, really good rookie season in their regular and their rotation for most of the year, but I don't think we're talking about him as much as we're talking about a Michael Harris or a Julio Rodriguez or an Adley Rushman or a Spencer Strider or a Stephen Kwan, which by the way, this all just says what a rookie year this is. It's going to be fun because we're going to see most of those guys. Orioles didn't make it, but most of those guys we talked about, especially it looks like Spencer Strider should be back in time if everything goes well. For the uh, now that the Braves have a bye for their first series, which will be a second round series, so it should be fascinating. It's going to be fun, and we'll keep talking about it here at Baseball America on the Baseball America podcast. Check it out; we got a lot of cool stuff over at baseballamerica.com right now. We do have we are announcing tomorrow our Major League Player of the Year, so check that out. You might be able to figure out who that is, but but you'll see. I'll see you'll see for sure tomorrow. 
uh, Thursday. If you're listening to this on, we were recording it on Wednesday, October 5th. We also have a lot of stuff wrapping up the minor league season. As Jeff said, Jeff has helped preview the AFL with cool uh, metrics that we've seen from there. Josh is out there reporting from the Arizona Fall League every day this week. Uh, and then I've got some stuff up that's about the attendance numbers across the minors and how there were some kind of disappointing numbers this year. So check it all out, baseballamerica.com. Jeff, now let's just get back in our bunkers and watch a whole lot of baseball, huh? Absolutely. Excited for the playoffs. Sounds good. For Jeff, I'm JJ. So long, everybody. 